What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. And before we jump into today's conversation with Jamil Bouya, there's a couple things that we need to go over first. Number one, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a rating and a review. The more positive ratings and reviews we get, the more it helps new people find the show, and it really helps to grow the community that we're developing here. And if you're one of those people that have recently found the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. Make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes. And to everybody listening, make sure you screenshot this, post it to your Instagram story, tag at my social life podcast, and I'll feature you on the account and send you a message as well. Now, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Burgers and Fries founder, Jamil Buya. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly, and today we're joined by Jamil Bouya. And Jamil is the co-founder of Burgers and Fries Forever, a restaurant based here in Ottawa, Canada's nation's capital. And he's grown the Instagram to over 28,500 followers. I'm very excited to have him here on the podcast today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you for having me. Excited to be on the show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Where I want to start is, can you just kind of give everybody who's unfamiliar with Burgers and Fries kind of a quick overview of how the company came to be, where the inspiration for it started? Because based on my research, you were in government and then you kind of switched things up and then went into the entrepreneurship lane and started your own company. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll try to keep it quick. Quick is, uh, quick will be the MO of this meeting, I guess, of this call, because it is a long story. Basically, I was with the government. Um, Things didn't work out in the sense that uh, for those in Ottawa, there was the budget freeze by Stephen Harper. Long story short, I couldn't get bridged into my job for at least two years. Um, Did a couple temp positions. Was very unsatisfied. Uh, Just didn't see a future in the government. Um, So I kind of took the plunge. uh, Came up with an idea because that was... The only thing I could do at the time with my job, I was literally told uh, that I had no work to do for two weeks. Uh, so I was extremely bored at work. Uh, I love to eat. I love to travel. So I took kind of took the two and created like a, a menu of crazy burgers uh, and just crazy fries and things like that. And uh, pitched the idea, was able to raise the money. And uh, that was six years ago. So that's kind of how Burgers and Fries Forever came together in a quick nutshell. Mm-hmm. And then, so when did social media become part of your strategy? Because I, when I was looking back, I think when you were first on the news talking about the restaurant before it even opened, I think you only plugged Facebook at the time. So was Facebook then the first platform that you guys got onto? Yeah, it was always a strategy for us from day one was to use uh, paid media, paid social media, because... Um, You know, at the time I was 23 when I started it and uh, Facebook was king back then. And uh, obviously things have changed, but I just knew that no matter what happened, I had to be on Facebook, I had to be on social media. I didn't know necessarily what it looked like at the time. Uh, If you look at the evolution of my social media, um, I look back at some of the pictures and I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? God, those pictures were terrible. The editing was shit and um excuse my language sorry bit of a potty mouth uh if you follow me online you know this is nothing out of the ordinary but um yeah i just knew it had to be part of the strategy you know uh many of these things when you start you don't necessarily know what it's going to end up like uh practice makes better not necessarily perfect um 
the more I shot, the better I became. The better I became, the more I wanted to learn. The more I wanted to learn, the more competitive I became. And, uh, you know, it, it's still a battle. I'm still learning, still trying new platforms, and I'm still trying to evolve. Mm-hmm. There's a couple things that I want to unpack there. Sure. And the first one being kind of let's dive into you mentioned paid media. And so at the time, I think it was around 2013, 2012 when you started the mm-hmm. company? 2013. When? Like 2013. And so what kind of drove you to do paid media at that point? Because I feel like Facebook ads, there's still a lot of businesses that aren't even leveraging them to their full capacity. So what kind of pointed you in that direction to using Facebook ads and stuff like that? Well, like most uh, businesses, I had a marketing budget and I didn't want to throw thousands at radio. I didn't want to throw uh, money in newspapers. Like I basically told myself, like, how do I create kind of like a closed loop marketing system in the sense that once you pay for those ads or those placements, you have no idea how those people are going to come back to you, right? You don't control the message. You don't get to have that back and forth conversation. It's just like a one-way blast. It's like, hey, I'm on the radio. Were you even paying attention? Are you upset? Oh yeah, no? Okay, cool. My spiel is done. And many of the times that's what radio ads are. You don't even, like if you're not paying attention, if there's something happening, heck, the radio has to be on. Um, you know, that was like the big thing people did back then, radio, TV, uh, obviously press, media, PR, but as like a new restaurant, no one's ever heard of, it was very tough to get. So, um, it just made business sense at the time. Uh, even just like as a, you know, as someone young, 23, who used lots of social media, I knew that I had to pay to play, you know, if I wanted to grow the business, I might as well have thrown my marketing dollars at Facebook because at least that way I control the messaging. I can have that two-way conversation and I can build that brand and that rapport. Because once you pay to acquire a like or a follow back then, it pretty much became yours up until organic engagement just completely cratered a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And so was that kind of the objective of the ads was to bring people over to follow and like the accounts or was it more so to drive people into the restaurant. Cause I'm always curious how restaurants determine the success of a Facebook ad, because you can't necessarily track how many people came into the restaurant as a result. It's like, what were some of those success metrics you were using back then? This is straight up follows. It was all about follows. Cause at the end of the day, this is what I explained to people about the restaurant industry. You got to hear about me at least like, you know, there's no science to it, but you got to hear about me in my opinion, like nine, 10 times. And once you hear about me like nine, 10 times, you'll probably finally remember me. I like to also think that our name is catchy enough that, you know, people instantly understand and correlate. And there's a bit of that emotional first response you get from a name like BFF. It's like, oh, that's that's cute. That's quirky. I get it. Um, burgers and fries forever. Ha ha. Um, so then when that kind of emotional connection is formed, you've heard about us enough times, then you have to be in the neighborhood. Then you have to be hungry. Then you have to have money and you have to have time, then the people you're potentially with have to also have all those factors in play. So there's a lot of things working against you as not only a restaurant, but as a business, right? Like people have only so much time, so much money, so much attention span. So for us, trying to get super granular with metrics in the beginning, you know, there's so many other things that are working against you when you're opening a business that, you know, getting incredibly granular in the beginning 
is not something I recommend. Um, it's just better to test, act fast and see what results you get. But I knew for us, it was like, it was about building a brand, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm not the only place that serves a burger. I'm not the only place that sells a fry. Heck, 90% of my competitors do. And they're not specially branded as a burger joint. So I knew for us, you know, uh, it wasn't about necessarily the food, right? It wasn't necessarily about the food. A lot of people usually are a bit like taken aback by that statement. Uh, if you don't have good food, you shouldn't be in the restaurant industry to begin with. So if your differentiating factor is that you have good food, well, guess what? You don't really have much of a value prop. Like you're not special. So for us, it was like creating that fun brand, that fun experience online. Uh, kind of like, I like to think of it as like an online funnel. It's like people eat with their eyes nowadays and the end product is consumed via the stomach, right? But it's like people, people get hungry with their eyes nowadays. They get excited. They, you know, they, it's a badge of honor. Like being a foodie is a badge of honor. So uh, while those trends maybe weren't prevalent back then, it was something that just like I knew we had to do. I didn't necessarily always know what it was going to look like. Mm -hmm. And then so speaking of like, eating with your eyes initially you guys i don't know if you still do this or not but you had your burgers of the week that you used to do which were some crazy crazy food items so do you think that having those and leveraging these crazy food items do you think that helped drive people to your page and to follow your page because it was something new and crazy every single week yeah yeah like now we do it monthly weekly it was just not sustainable uh both from like a marketing perspective because a lot of people would hear about it and it's already gone and then even from a business point of view, uh, there was a lot of food waste happening because you'd buy stuff and you wouldn't get through it maybe in a week because people haven't heard of it. But from day one, having monthly specials, like with a name or a, sorry, a special in general, because we went from weekly to monthly, but having a name like Burgers and Fries Forever, being your BFF, you know, in, in whatever way you want to use that acronym, uh, it's all about creating that emotional response because like we always like to think of like, you know, when I think of my BFF as like a person, they're usually someone that pushes you outside your boundaries. There's someone that makes you excited. Usually that you have a first with, you know, a first experience with there's a lot of emotional memories with your best friend forever. So we knew the way for us to do that with people was, via exciting crazy burgers and fries forever you know so like whether it was creating a crazy ethnic burger that people are like that'll never work but then it creates a lot of that a lot of that love that you get like for me i like to travel a lot and when i travel i like to pick up local foods and local you know culinary techniques and local ingredients and things that are cultivated in that part of the world. Because when you talk to someone about their food, which is a, a gateway to their culture, you just see them light up like a Christmas tree. Like people just get so happy and excited that like, you know, this obscure dish or, you know, this obscure food. So the fact that we were able to pay homage to that through our burgers of the month, got us a lot of loyal fans the fact that we were able to do things that were like trendy, food porn worthy, getting people excited, you know, like 
people aren't dining out necessarily to have a good meal. That's like the baseline. People want a great experience. And that's something that we felt like we could deliver via our photography, via our creativity, via our culinary techniques and via our tastes and uh, uh, flavors that we were able to create using burgers and fries as a canvas. Mm -hmm. And then so you keep mentioning how it's always burgers and fries. And I've heard you talk about in the past how fries are just as important to the meal as burgers. And that was kind of like a driving part in the beginning of the business still today is just how important fries are. Can you kind of speak to that, to like where that idea came from? Because I thought that was pretty unique how fries are usually an afterthought, but you're kind of bringing them to the forefront up there with the burger as well. Well, I, I had done my final semester of school on exchange in Amsterdam. And there I fell in love with uh, what's called a Vlamsi frit, which is like a Belgian style fry. So it's a, it's a binti potato, which you cannot find here. It's cultivated in Belgium. And it's a very large, high starch, high sugar potato. So it caramelizes exceptionally well. And it becomes extremely fluffy because of the high starch, high sugar content. But if you were to just fry it regularly uh, after you cut it, it would be extremely hard and dense on the inside and you know, overcooked on the outside. And the reason is because you have to draw that extra starch and sugar out by soaking it in water. So kind of learning about this and just having this bomb ass potato with all these crazy mayos, because that was like, that was another thing that kind of blew my mind, like all these different types, like mayo and fries was already like a bit of a, like a crazy thing in North America. But then like at that time, but then to go like, they had like literally Indonesian peanut satay sauce because there's a big Indonesian community uh, based off like all the colonization that happened over the years. So there's a big Indo community in, uh, in, uh, in Holland, in the Netherlands. So uh, seeing all these crazy flavors, like they had samurai mayo, which was like a hot sauce mayo combination. They had, uh, like I said, satay, war sauce. They have something called urlog sauce. It was just like, it was crazy stuff, but it was a lot of fun just trying the different mayos every time with like these amazing bomb ass potatoes. It's just like a crispy jacket encompassing like this pillowy, cloudy, soft, gooey center of potato. So I was just like, man, like there's a lot of places that do burgers well because there was actually this really awesome burger joint too in Amsterdam called Burger Bar at the time. And they were doing like fresh beef. They would actually mold fresh beef in these pa ring patties and then throw it on the grill. And I was like, holy crap, like that's super fresh. Almost to the point where it was a bit like a show watching them mold the patty in the ring. And at the time, a lot of places in the States were starting to do what's called like a smash patty, which is what we do. And um, that's why like we started off with like six house-made mayos with your fries. Cause it's like, we always thought that like fries were the Robin to Batman, which is burgers. But like really Robin works just as hard as Batman. The man get no love. So we wanted to, we wanted to give some love to, uh, to Robin here by giving him the tools, giving it the tools to shine. So that was in the form of just allowing people to, to pick a mayo with their fries, with their onion rings, with their sweet potato fries. And 
People loved it. It was such a simple concept, but it made us unique. And, um, you know, over times we've had some crazy, some crazy inventions and uh, other things to pair. But for myself, it's kind of like burgers don't go well without fries. So let's make both of them sexy. That's awesome. No, because I definitely, I've definitely, when I've been scrolling through your Instagram and stuff, I see these awesome photos of fries and it was cool to hear when I was doing my research, kind of the, a little bit on that philosophy is why fries are just as important as the burger. But speaking of when I'm like scrolling through Instagram, seeing these photos, I was curious if among social media, like a distribution strategy in terms of like time of day or day of the week that you aim to post in, do you try to get content up every day? Like, how does that kind of look like for you? You know, before it was, uh, I tried to make it more of a science, honestly. Um, you know, not to disappoint anybody who might be listening, my strategy is uh, as I'm getting busier and busier, uh, it is the one thing I have trouble letting go of. It, I I still do all the social media. We just started a TikTok account. Um, as I get busier, honestly, my posting will become a little more sporadic. I have less time to post and take quality content. So it is something that I'm actually looking forward to to getting some help in the future but it's kind of like addiction is not the right word because I'm not addicted to it in that sense but it's like it's just so personal to let it go right like um, you know now with three restaurants in two different cities uh, we're planning on growing next year opening potentially a couple more um, and looking to start franchising it's it's something that I really enjoy, but at the same time, um, I'm able to devote less and less time to it. Uh, the formula is kind of ingrained in my head. I'll try to post every other day. Um, and I'm trying to create more engaging stories content. I'm trying to get, uh, I'm trying to regram more of other people's content as well. Cause really like, part of curating content is also involving your community and making them feel like a part of your social media. It's not like a one way, it's not a one way street. It is like a a closed loop. You feed content, you get content, you feed content, you get content, you engage, they engage, you engage, they engage, right? It's like, it's a cyclical thing. So um, there isn't really a, a solid strategy per se, for me, I try to post before lunch and before dinner, right? Because psychologically, you're going to eat soon. So if you're going to eat soon, I want to be top of mind. Oh, that's super smart. I've never even heard of a restaurant doing that, posting right before people actually go to eat their meals. Uh, but I was going to ask, because right now, Facebook and Instagram, by following, I believe, are your most followed platforms. But like you mentioned earlier, organic reach has gone down with Facebook and is starting to decline on Instagram. Does that ever worry you about how organic reach on these platforms is declining? I know you talked about how you just recently made a TikTok, so you're getting on other platforms, but does the organic reach ever worry you? Yeah, it's always going to worry you, but uh, when you're in business, much less the restaurant business, you got many things to worry about. So (laughs) letting one more thing worry, you know, worrying about one more thing is not really a a big deal. Um, You just have to adapt. If you don't adapt, you will get buried, you will be forgotten, you will lose business, you will become irrelevant. So it's about changing the strategy. It's about understanding the trends. It's about staying in the know. 
talking to other people who have done it. Because at the end of the day, social media isn't, it isn't like uh, quantum physics, you know, uh, there are trends, there are formulas, there are things that work. And by talking to people who are in the know, by trying to gain knowledge via other people and their experiences, that's kind of what helps you uh, overcome a lot of those changes and difficulties. Like I also have a, a skincare brand. It's an e-commerce brand. And the majority of our sales come through the online platform via paid and targeted ads and every single year Facebook's algorithm changes and Instagram's algorithm changes and every single year the ads go to shit and you have to restart from scratch start testing again start spending money and uh like it's not easy it's tough it's difficult it can be exhausting sometimes but this is part of the game it's part of the business it's part of life right like nothing you have a good day some days, next day you wake up with a headache. Day after that, you slept like a baby. Um, would you have any advice for someone that's just kind of starting either their own business or getting started into social media? Like if you had to do it all over again, starting tomorrow, where would you start? Like what would your strategy kind of look like if you were restarting and trying to build up that following once again? Uh, we are in the age of influencers and it's really about utilizing their reach their audience because they have highly engaged audiences they also are great at engaging on each other's accounts in order to get right like the thing is all these things there's a lot of math and science behind it in the form of the algorithms and the algorithms what they do is they release they release images and videos in pools so they'll first release it to a small pool of people and if that small pool of people engages at a certain ratio, they'll, in, they'll show it to more. And if that next pool engages at a certain ratio, they'll show it to more until it becomes viral and it starts showing up on your discover. And then they'll start linking accounts that have like similar types of photos or similar types of, I can't speak to the algorithm, but that's my basic understanding of it. So Dealing with people with high engagement, these micro-influencers, they're the ones who get great engagement. They actually have quality content. Um, I'm also a big believer in seeing what my competitors are doing. Like I said, I'm not inventing the wheel here. On social media, no one is reinventing the wheel. After all, it is a platform that is very limiting in terms of what you can do. You can either post photos, you can either post videos, your caption sizes are so big, you can only use so many hashtags, you can only do this, you can only do that, right? Like you can't suddenly do augmented reality on these things or something that the platform's not capable of. You're limited within a scope. So understanding that scope based off what your competitors have done, how they've done it, that's something I would do. No one has reinvented the wheel, as I say. So by ignoring what your competitors are doing and aspire to be, I think is uh, I think is a big opportunity that a lot of people miss. You don't have to reinvent the wheel when you're first people who are doing it better than you, that who you aspire to be like, and work backwards from there. Mm -hmm. well, that's definitely some good advice. It's actually something I tweeted earlier today, actually, was something along the lines of 
a good learning resource is people in your industry that are doing really well. Try to figure out what they're doing and how it applies to you and reverse engineer why they're doing what they're doing to figure out how that applies to you. But I know we're a little pressed for time here. So I'm just gonna jump ahead to the last question. For the last question that I ask everybody, I like to flip the script a little bit. And if you had a crystal ball that could tell you the answer to any question, what is one question that you would ask that you wanna know the answer to? Oh, uh, in relation to social media or in life? Anything at all. <laughs> um, oh boy, I wasn't ready for a question of that uh, scope. Um, if I had, a, you know, like, maybe I'll take it away from the business realm. And uh, for myself, it's just dealing with uh, a lot of it is just figuring out how to deal with stress and anxiety. Right? Like, uh, it's something that isn't talked about a lot. I like to talk about it. I like to bring it out in the open. Um, as a business owner, I can be extremely stressed out, uh, very anxious. And uh, I've been trying so many different things uh, just to like help, help quiet that crazy voice that can be in the back of your mind sometimes, the one that makes you doubt, the one that makes you fear. Because I think that's what stops a lot of business owners. And I know this is a podcast more on, you know, uh, social media, but, you know, even people who create content for social media, influencers, they have a lot of doubts. You know, they have a lot of insecurities. We're all trying to build a brand here. We're all trying to build a business. We're all trying to build a name for ourselves. So for me, it's just sometimes, you know, uh, I guess if I were to ask this crystal ball would be like, you know, crystal ball, hey, Am I gonna? Am I still gonna have hair on my head when I'm sixty? Because uh, I'm not stressed out. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I, 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 for myself, it's just like nowadays. A lot of my focus is just like on me. You know, if I can become, not necessarily like I don't, I don't want to sound preachy here and be like, oh, if I can be a better person, it's not about being a better person as much as it is like, can I calm my own thoughts and emotions when they appear right because they're always going to appear it's how you deal with them and I think for myself uh, I'm always trying to get a better understanding of how to deal with those things uh, as they show up right because things always show up in your life it's just about how you deal with them and if you're going to let them affect uh, the next five seconds of your day the next five hours the next five days the next five months or the next five years Right. So uh, I'm very big on that these days, just like, you know, meditating, praying, affirmations, working out. I stopped drinking coffee, trying to drink some matcha. Like I'm always trying to figure out how to better myself uh, so that I can deal with uh, mental issues uh, much better than I have in the past, which, you know, that's life. You get stressed out, you get anxious. It's just learning how to deal with it and uh, having a plan to tackle it so that you perpetually get better and you don't let it overcome you. I like that answer, man. I appreciate your openness to talk about things like that. But I know we are a little bit over time here, so I just want to give you the floor. Where can the people find you? Where can they find burgers and fries? Where can they find Yellow Beauty? Plug anything and everything that you got right now. You can check us out on our website, like burgersandfriesforever.com. 
That's burgers, the letter N, friesforever.com, Yellow Beauty, literally spell it out, yellowbeauty.co. Uh, you could hit us, you could hit us up on Instagram. Shoot me a DM if you want to talk to me personally. I'll be the one responding. And um, yeah, I have my own personal Instagram. I don't use it as much, so you're better off finding me on Burgers and Fries Forever. And uh, yeah, don't be shy. You know, I don't bite. If I do, you'll recover. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on this podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening. Whether you've listened the entire way through, you've only listened to bits and pieces. I really appreciate you taking time to check this out. Guys, do me a favor. Go and follow Burgers and Fries. Go and follow Yellow Beauty. I'll make sure everything is linked in the show notes down below. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. If you'd like to find the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at, at my social life podcast or on YouTube by searching up my social life. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.